0: Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am your host, Bruce Garrick. Today, we are joined by one of our founders and regular panelists, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show.
1: That was a very conspiratorial voice there, Bruce. <laughs> no,
0: that's my that's my mcneil Air Report voice. Oh, that's really? I'm, I'm
1: try- yes. I did not know you had a mcneil Air Report voice. Oh, yeah. That's quite impressive.
0: Yeah, Robin McNeil. He was my favorite. He was, wasn't he Canadian? Uh, yes, he was. Excellent. See, there you go. We're great people. You have (laughs) been on the show for a while, Bruce. Uh, I have not, but I'm back. And uh, I have brought with me a guest. um, Ooh, a guest. Head honcho of High Flying Dice Games and uh, formerly of uh, Firefight Games and longtime desktop publishing uh, wargame maven, uh, Paul Rohrbaugh. Paul, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you.
2: Thank you. And and anybody who's channeling Canadians is good in my book because I love going to Canada.
0: Well then, uh, you can uh, you and Troy can uh, grab some Labatt's Blue and uh, yes. Oh that, God, oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Nobody so, drinks yeah. Labatt's Blue. So. Oh, I do. <laughs> Didn't Labatt's just get bought by uh, some? Um, I thought they were uh, bought by the th- Dutch or something.
1: They're all owned by Belgians now. Yeah.
2: Everybody wants a piece of Canada. Everybody wants. Everybody really quietly, stealthily wants to be Canadian.
0: Troy can can lead us in that effort. Um, So the topic today is uh, desktop publishing of war games. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought this would be an interesting topic for several reasons. One is that we've had uh, several uh, shows about uh, indie uh, computer games and the independent publishing scene and how developers uh, are able to bring ideas to market that are not generally mass market interest, but... um, Things, projects that, that uh, maybe have um, an, an interesting niche appeal. And I think the same thing is true of desktop publishing of war games. And um, the second reason is that I stumbled upon uh, Paul's uh, website. I had actually never heard of High Flying Dice Games, but um, I was traipsing through Board Game Geek, and I was actually looking for a game on uh, by John Hill about the Battle of uh, Huey City. During the Vietnam War, and then I found that uh, lo and behold, there was actually a game by Paul uh, called City of Confusion, which I I, I mean never heard of uh, Paul's uh, company until then, and then I had never heard of that game, and then of course I uh, like I like I am I just went and and bought it and uh, <laughs> enjoyed it, and so I thought, hey, this is a really well uh, put together product. I want to talk about uh, how something like this happens. So, uh, Paul. I'm going to just open up to you a little bit. Tell us about you've uh, you've been doing uh, desktop publishing of war games for some time. Uh, I know that because when I when I saw that it was you, I was like, oh, I think I remember Paul's name. And then I went back and looked at some older games, especially desktop publishing of, of war games, and uh, noticed that you had been involved in many of them. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your history is with the with the hobby. Well,
2: I've um, I'm a teacher. That's my career primary career career and um, I've used games in my teaching ever since day one and like many of us I grew up with games and I would design games and play test games with my students and we use them in class and for most part during the you know 80s and and 90s they would just once we're done I just put them in the files and I've got probably about 60 70 games I've worked on over the years with my students and um but it wasn't until 1999 that i came across or 1998 i came across microgame design group uh Kerry anderson's uh uh company in canada okay. and um i sent him uh, a copy of a uh, uh, the prototype for trampling out the vintage uh the ca- atlantic a campaign. civil war game yeah 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 and uh he published it they liked it and then he just went could you have more and i said like well, yeah <laughs> so i started emptying out the files and they published uh, quite a few of my games med fury um blood and steel uh the curse battles um and a number of others and then he i got to help develop some other games uh hallmark gerber's rinder and uh his game on cuba on the uh, cuban missile crisis and so that that's how i got started and now and
0: yeah that's that that's um, you publishing games through micro, micro game design game. Group yeah,
2: yeah yeah okay and there was no money for that I mean it was basically just to get your name in print um, right I never made any money off of that and that was fine and then um, uh, I, but I got the next step up because uh, through against the odds um, and was able to become their developer and get some of my more involved uh, bigger games published. Uh, first one was Dark and Bloody Ground through Against the Odds uh, the magazine.
0: Now, tell, yeah, tell us about Against the Odds because that's actually a magazine that uh, yes. you can people can subscribe to right now, correct? Yeah, and
2: they're professional. They're not desktop published. They have die cut counters and you know, and much more extensive artwork and quality of production than most desktop games have. And uh, and, and so I was able to get on board with Steve to help i was the first uh, developer and uh, like i said got to the that next level with some of my games being published professionally and steve has taught me quite a bit about the business and in also during that time i got to know perry more because i would help develop some of his games for against the odds into the bear into a bear trap was was one and like I said, I've got this huge file of games that I'd like to get published and get them out there. And so at one point, Perry and I, we went into jointly into publishing these games and helping each other. And uh, that, was, that was fine, but it just it wasn't... Um, I think we, we kind of tapped out hmm, with okay. Firefight. And yeah. uh, Perry's interest seemed to be diminishing on that. So, and then when the economy kind of tanked in 2008... Um, There were a number of things that were happening. Publishers were cutting back. I had thought I was going to be publishing with some other publishers besides Against the Odds, but they scaled back. And I'm not a big fan of P500. Um,
0: Okay, that's interesting. So I want to come back to that. Now, just before we we continue, I want to tell our our listeners, Perry Moore is um, uh, another one of the sort of uh, pioneers of desktop publishing. Yes. Uh, We tried to get Perry on. He was initially uh, tentatively going to be able to join us, unfortunately. Scheduling conflicts uh, ruled Perry out, but um, so we're talking about now uh, really one of the um, uh, one of the leaders of desktop yes. publishing, and Paul, Paul and Perry were, yes, were, were it, uh,
2: working together then. And somebody I really admire. I think we're, in many ways, we're kindred spirits. We like to look, work on, uh, portray in Game 4 topics in history that no one has done before. And looking at at these in in seeing how can we do this and, and not doing the same thing over and over again in terms of game design. We like to, I I kind of like to start with a blank slate and see where the, what the situation is and what the story I'm telling, in the game and let that d- drive the design approach.
0: Yeah, no, so that's going to be something else we can talk about uh, in terms of. Um you know, what kind of games you guys design. I want to talk a little bit about uh, mm. High Flying Dice's catalog because there certainly are eclectic titles. But let's get back. I cut you off and I want to continue the the talk about why you don't like P500. So there's this model for our listeners who don't know uh, that GMT Games has sort of uh, popularized and, and, and shown to be viable, which is that, um, you know, they'll get a game into development uh, but they won't go ahead and produce the game until they have 500 orders for the game. Well, and so that, that's not even. It's kind
2: of. Okay. And even, even, even GMT is honest, came up and said, you know, 500 is not usually what they go for. <laughs> it, it, okay. it's, sometimes it could be as many as 7, 800, or 1,000. Um, and they're not alone in that regard, too. I, you know, most publishers have some sort of
0: pre order process threshold right. that you have to go through but that's the idea is that there is a there is a there is a I mean it was called p500 because originally i mean that i don't know how they're doing it now but was 500 and the idea is that there is a but i want to just uh, just uh establish for our readers that that's the idea that's the concept a threshold you you have interested gamers but if you don't get enough interest in terms of whatever level they set five six seven eight hundred uh thousand copies they're not going to make the game period right
2: and I, I don't like the P500 process as a designer and a, and a historian, um, mostly because the publishers are asking you, the designer-historian, to do all the marketing and promotion. I see. And, you know, I, I'm a game designer, and, and I li- that's what I like to do. I like to do the research. I like to do the design. I like to work with play testers and, and do that part of it. Um, the marketing part of it, I've I've gotten better at it, but that was one Mm -hmm. thing I wasn't really, you know, that's a lot of time, a lot of effort, and that's one of the reasons I decided to come out with the high-flying dice games was, if I'm going to do all this work in marketing, um, then I might as well get the payoff for it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know most design most publishers you 're they 're going to only pay you you know maybe a thousand dollars for a full size game maybe fifteen hundred if you 're lucky okay very rarely do they give you you know a percentage um, and if they do it 's one or two percent right um and so you in that case you 're not going to see the money for years
0: right well there's, there 's there's clearly no money in in well, yeah, there 's no money there's designing not a, historical yeah there's very little
2: money in in gaming Right. Um, but I I have learned that um, for those who are willing to take the risk, there is a, a more significant payout. Mm-hmm. And um, when the economy went south in 2008, um, I ended up my, losing my full-time teaching job at YSU.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, the necessity is the mother of invention. Okay. And we were also going through, uh, ATO was having a, Crisis where they lost their their graphic artist, and we had they had to come up with a new graphic artist, and we had a number of people who stepped forward and you know got them through that and tried out for the position of graphic artist for ATO, okay. and that's how I ended up meeting Bruce Yarian. Okay, um, Bruce was one of those, and uh, he he got some of my games uh, to work on, and particularly name the name game post that he got to work on. Yeah, some of the ones that ATO I give an ATO. And even though he didn't get the job, he, he contacted me, he says, You know, I really like your work. Is there anything you can do that we can do together? And I said, Well, you know, <laughs> this is maybe this is an aha moment and uh uh Bruce is is you know, the primary graphic artist for the High Flying Dice games. And we were able to came in January two thousand eleven, we, we launched. Okay. And um it's worked out real well. I mean, we're uh, it, it's it's turned to the point where I'm I'm making probably if as much or if not more on the high flying dice games I am teaching. Oh, that's great. We're selling we're, right now. We're selling about f- uh, three to four games a day.
0: <laughs> okay, and, well, that's uh, not bad.
2: during the holiday season, we're we're almost six games a day from November to January.
0: Well, let's talk about some of those games and the way that you do this. So now you are a, a um, you're a uh, desktop publishing publisher.
2: Yeah, primarily we, we do have two games in what we call professional. Where, series where we have die cut counters, full bleed maps. They're okay. More they're you know what you would find you know like in GMT or Multiman or or any of the other publishers. But they're just two right now in that line. Everything else is desktop published.
0: So that would be uh, Test of Metal and, and uh, Bloody Hell. And Bloody Hell. So those are both uh, those are both Normandy games, uh, or or not well, Normandy. Um, they're they're they're, not, they're, they're France forty four France, games. 44, France yeah. forty four games. Yeah. So, it, let, but let's talk a little bit about your games. Um, but first, I want to ask if Troy, have you ever have you ever had the the pleasure of um, of playing a desktop published war game, Troy?
1: I haven't. Um, generally, it's I tend to go to the, the bigger places. I go through. Uh, I, I guess that one of my questions is: I got me. One of the great appeals. I, I checked at your storefront and I looked at it like, oh my God, there's a game about X. There are never <laughs> any games about X. And yeah. the same thing with firefight. Uh, you know, there are games about the Greeks and the Turks fighting uh, just after World War One. There's some really the types of forgotten front stuff that we talk about sometimes on the podcast. Wouldn't it be nice to have a game about X? So I, I see that. Uniqueness as one of your great marketing devices. You know, there's you can't get a game of you. There's no way GMT will be able to sell enough of these to justify the quality of the components uh, right. that their audience demands. So I guess, but I'm a big c- component guy. I like having my blocks and my stickers and everything yeah. moving very nicely. So I guess the question from the desktop publishing angle. This is some. I mean, I guess. The closest I come to it is my friend Dirk Niemeyer at Conquistador Games, and he doesn't do it really desktop. He ships everything, he designs it himself, and then he ships it out to China, and China sends back the components. Yeah. Uh, so, that's... it's is not desktop publishing at all. It's independent. No. Yes, yeah, that's but, not desktop but it's publishing. Not, yeah. But it's not, you know, at the level that you're doing it. You know, it's very classic. You put stuff in a bag and send it out. The question, I guess, is um, you're. Your customers, um, c- component design, what goes into a good component design for a desktop game? Because you have to have, it has to be readable, it has to be right. durable, but also has to have this cost issue and be able to be shipped at a relatively low price.
2: Right. Well, I'm fortunate that I have Bruce, um, because Bruce is a one, and, and, and now Nils Johansson. Yeah. yeah, we
0: got to talk about Niels Johansson. He did a great job. Bruce yeah. being Bruce Arian and Niels Johansen did the graphics and, for City and of Tim Confusion. Tim Allen
2: with the cards. Yeah, um,
0: City of Confusions uh, graphics are fantastic. I want to talk about it more you. later.
2: Thank you. Um, it, 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 I think first and foremost, you know, it, it's been the graphic artists who take you know my playtest prototypes and and take them to a whole new level visually. And let's face it, with board games, you know, that's an important part component of these games. People, you know, they like the 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 aesthetics, they like the visual component it has to be top quality. Um, and 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 the and the, the kinesthetic feel of playing a board game, right. those are the two yep. big compo- separates them from a from a computer game, right? As well as the social dynamic, so you have to have those kinds of things in, por- in play to attract people to the game table to play these things, as well as the topic and, and the design. Um, I'm very fortunate to have them, and then I, I you know I have a access to a printer on campus at YSU who who has a wonderful that's a wonderful job in turning out top quality prints of the games um, so the you know the, what Bruce does or what Nils does is it, it's one thing but you know if you don't have a good printer printing service that can render these things in, in a good manner with good quality paper and so forth then you know it's kind of wasted but unfortunately I have that and then the other thing I think I help that helps with me in terms of desktop is I, I do offer the mounted counter service its its you can custom make anything basically for desktop published uh, for what people want there are some people who just want the game as is they'll mount their own counter So they're just collecting them They're just gonna put them on the shelf and right. and pull them off and look at them like a book, right? Um, there's others who you know They're not comfortable with mounting counters, especially if they're double-sided, but I can do that and I don't charge an arm and a leg for that and if need be for some people I, I have some customers who have arthritis and Or whatever and I'll even cut them out for them for just a slight more charge so and, and I try to keep my prices as low as possible. I mean, like you said, we're not going to make a ton of money. Nobody's going to get rich on this, but, you know, it's still, I try to keep it low and so that we're making some money. I'd rather sell a lot of games at a low price than um, just a few games and, and gouge people. And, yeah. and, and and that's the other thing, too, is I they're doing well enough at this level with, with that kind of, people seem to like, the amount of counters I give them, uh, I can provide for them in, in what there's there at, at these prices. Um, I have looked into laser cutting, but to do that would, you know, for some games, would more than double the price. And then, of course, when you do that, if, uh, if I'm going to have laser cutting, then I have to figure out, okay, how many am I going to get done? How can many can I sell? If you guess wrong, you're taking a bath. And right. that could put me out of business. And then I also have inventory. That I have to maintain. And I this is out of my basement of my house. I don't have right. the space. Right. Um, and then I'm also going to have to pay taxes on all that inventory. Right. And so it just takes it to a whole new level where your costs go significantly t- up. And if you, but right now I'm doing well enough at a, as a print in and in a, in a symbol upon demand that people seem to be pleased with what they're getting.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what you get when you. Uh when you uh, order one of these games so i got um i bought a couple of your games uh, mm-hmm. i bought city of confusion which okay. is uh, about uh battle for a uh, city during tet 68 yep. um i got what i got was uh, a set of rules that are uh, nicely laid out and um you know uh they're they're pretty clear and then i got a series of beautifully designed I really like um, I really like what Nils did with the um, terrain effects chart and mm-hmm. um, the uh, random uh, random events chart and then uh, you get uh, those are but these are all on you know uh, eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper I mean they're very nicely printed the the, the cover sheet is um, you can see it on the website I mean it's a it's a photo with some very nice graphic design done over it and you just get it as an eight and a half by eleven. Uh, sheet of paper with that uh, printed. It's, it's good quality printing. It doesn't smear. Um, and then the maps are basically 11 by 17 uh, sheets of paper that are a little heavier, uh, yep. n- not very heavy, but uh, uh, you basically, what then you do is, um, oh, then you also get the counter. So I asked for the die cut counters because um, it just saves a whole heck of a lot of time. I have to go to you, know, you mean basically. mounted counters? Uh, yeah, I not. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, mounted counters, not die cut. Yes, they are not die cut. I as, ask for the mounted counters so because that saves time. It takes uh, quite a bit of time to actually mount uh, counters. So what you get is you get the counters on a on a hard card stock. What is that? What is that material actually that that you? It's four put layers on? of cardstock. Okay, so they uh, I basically go
2: out. Uh, they're, they're file folders, uh-huh. and. Um, okay. Uh, for in, in the case of the double-sided, they're they're mounted on two layers of folder file folders, and then scored down the middle, folded, and glued together. So you end up with four four layers. Four layers. Okay. So, and so same there... thing. Now, if if it's single-sided, you get I mount them on three layers of cardstock, and then the the bottom the the, the last layer I have glued them to would be white cardstock.
0: Got it. So so what you get is is and the the, the thing about it is. I think the artwork and and, and uh, you know sort of computer um, layout programs and, and design programs have gotten to the point where I mean there's there's nothing that's keeping a, a a desktop publishing designer from making I mean the people at GMT or other game companies are making their uh, graphics using the same tools that you are or that your designers are the difference is how you translate that to a physical product because i'm sure that on the screen it look i mean the, the and the i love the graphics for the game yeah. uh they look they look beautiful and you can once again go to Thank the website you. and see some of that but um but taking it to the physical product is what um, that is is the trick i guess that's crucial and yeah. like so,
2: you got to have i got I'm blessed with a very very good printing service and um and i do and everything you know, I'm the only person here doing this. I don't, you know, well, my wife, I call the chief of staff. She, she helps do the paperwork and she helps edit and proofread and stuff like that. But, you know, when an order comes in, I'm the one that takes the order. I'm the one that picks it up from the printer. I'm the one that checks it at the printer. When I come back home, I'm the one that packs it all up. I'm the one that's mounting the counters and and I, you know, everything's like Checks five times before it's it's right. it's put in the package and sent out. Uh, if I could, let me go back to the graphic about the counters and things sure. like that. Um, you know, Nils is the one who did. Uh, Nils Johansson is the one who did the City of Confusion game. He, that's the second game he's done for for me. He did Breaking into Valhalla. That was his first game he ever did, and um, Nils started. Out, he was a customer. He bought he bought some games. Azukas' first victory, uh, which he's now redoing. Uh, graphically for me, um but he bought that and some other games, and he was so taken with them, particularly with Zuko's first victory. He sent me unasked a a map he did for that game, you know it was just wonderful and um and so i asked him, would you be interested in in doing a game a whole game and he's certainly um so he did breaking into Valhalla and then he did city of confusion. Um, his full-time day job, he, he's a he's a fashion designer for Prada, I and so he's 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 got that artistic background, and he's coming at it from a different angle. These games from a different, you know, he's a customer. He's been a customer. And he likes history, and so he's bringing a whole different level of enthusiasm, interest, training, and perspective, and and that's wonderful. I mean, um. But just for the counters on the City of Confusion, one thing about desktop publish, you, you have a lot more freedom to do things, desktop publish, than opposed if, like, you were in a regular firm. Um, because now, if I, you know, things I, we do, I do for ETO, I have to keep in mind, okay, this is their printer, this is their format, it has to go in a magazine, or it has to go in this size box. And quite frankly, like, for City of Confusion, there's no way we could do those as die-cut counters. The, Why is the, that? Uh, the just the production, with the level of artistry he put in there, um, to uh, for a die cutter to get those and try to get them lined up and everything done, and so you have a clean cut die cut counter. Mm-hmm. The amount of slop, the amount of wastage that you probably would have to tolerate and pay for to get, you know, say five hundred or a thousand good quality. Um, die-cut counters uh, uh-huh. uh, to make games with uh, would probably be unacceptable. Wow. Uh, it would. It, it's, so as a desktop published game, he can do a lot, and same thing with Bruce, they can do a lot more creative things and not have to worry about, okay, do I have to, will this be die-cut properly? Will the Will it line up properly? Or can I get, you know, you know, I can, I can have 320 counters, not just 280. <laughs> um, yeah, they, can, they can push the envelopes a little bit more and not have to worry about um, cost considerations too much because, again, we can do it a little cheaper and uh not and again it's going to be on demand print on demand i don't have to worry about inventory uh i don't have to worry about you know i have to sell 500 of these things um so we may can't do there are some people who would be quite uh, flying are totally turned off by city of confusion they don't like that busy artwork uh so you know and you know that's fine. that's a, that's aesthetics but i would rather have my games be you know i take experiments i try to Test pushing envelope in terms of design and what can be portrayed in terms of a game, um, in, in, in topics. But so I want li- I would like my graph. I, I extend that same privilege and opportunity to the graphic artists. And when you're a desktop published company, you can do those kinds of things. Uh, you know, more established companies, they got a bigger client base. They're trying to sell more, appeal to a bigger audience. They may or may not want to do those kinds of things.
0: Okay, so when you let's talk a little bit about your topic choices. I mean, you have games that go from you have a um, another one I bought. You have a solitaire game about the Gaza missile crisis in uh, November of two thousand and twelve. You also have a two player game about the attack on Pearl, just the attack on Pearl Harbor. Right. That's it. I mean, not not the Pacific War, just the attack on Pearl Harbor. Then you have uh, a game about. Uh, the um, a battle between the uh, Arvin, the uh, Army of the Republic of Vietnam, and oh, yeah. the uh, North Vietnamese Army during the Easter Offensive in 1972. Yeah, and lock. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Locke. And then you have uh, a whole series of games uh, about the um, German Blitzkrieg in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a game about uh, the battle, about a battle uh in uh in Burma
2: mm-hmm yeah yeah, yeah yep um
0: mm-hmm. let's see you have uh a game about uh, a, the battle in the Civil war that I've never heard of called uh Opequan Creek
2: yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of that one mm-hmm. devil takes all yes yeah I most of these well devil takes all i in particular that's one because I, I have a big interest in President McKinley. Um, that goes back to when I was in fourth grade, and uh, McKinley grew up near what I where I live, and uh, he's and his his birthplace memorial in Niles, nearby Niles, Ohio. I got to work in, I started my library career at the McKinley Memorial in 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 uh, in Niles, and I wrote my master's thesis in history on that institution, and uh, I'm writing a book, a biography on the. Um, on the his best friend joseph g butler uh, who had that memorial built and well william mckinley fought at the battle of uh, of opaquin creek or the third winchester and he became he was his he was a hero and he was he helped lead the charge alongside Rutherford Hayes that turned the Confederate flank and destroyed the Stonewall Brigade and his name was mentioned in dispatches back to President Lincoln I mean it's a big deal and nobody had ever done a game on that <laughs> nobody had ever presented that story in history about the America, about the Civil War before in game form and I had to do that so that that was one that I. Uh, started designing work on when I started my library working back in nineteen ninety and at the McKinley Memorial. so when I finally was able to get it published you know through high flank dice games that was uh and you know really really uh, a big moment for me personally and i'm just absolutely delighted with the job that uh Bruce did with it
0: well tell me about some of the considerations that you have for making these these games like it says you when you're you're um little uh, catchphrase here is from the filing cabinet to yeah. the gaming table. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, they literally, they're in, They're in, I've got file cabinets full of prototypes. I've got, well, it's not a file cabinet anymore too much. It's a big, huge, couple big, huge plastic storage bins. Because um, I, I, we've had some basement floods over the years and I've had, lost a couple of games, um, prototypes games due to, the, due to the, due to the water damage. But, uh, I've since resurrected them. But, um, uh, been there now, they're in uh plastic storage bags, storage boxes. Like I said, there's probably about 60 some games in there.
0: Well, tell me about the, some of your choices because the, the thing that, one of the things that I, I uh, noticed about your um, about your selection is that they're all battles, right? There's the, there are naval battles. It's, you know, um, Cape Matapan. There's, yeah. uh, you know, Mitla Pass during the 56 Arab Israeli war. All yeah. your, um, Now
2: there's all- a couple, there's a few strategic level games. There's, um, you know operation Kaddish, which is the 56 arab israeli war the six days of war which is the entire 67 yes. but those are small uh,
0: i mean those are small games in the sense that the you know the the arab israeli war i mean it's it's such a tiny area that uh, uh i mean i understand what you're saying but it, there's there, there there aren't any of these i guess what i was driving at was that uh the topics that you choose sort of seem to have to be uh, they're constrained by you being a desktop publisher, right? So you can't... Well, some not... okay, somewhat. tell me about but, it.
2: Um, but also, you know, I've, I, I guess in some way, and one of the things I also do, I'm a storyteller, and um, uh, another hobby or interest of mine. And I've always viewed games as, a, as another way of telling a story, in, in this case, grounded in history. And so, you know, in that way, they have to have a narrative. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end and so that that kind of focus drives my design and and, and one of the as the hegemon it it, it, it against the odds says uh, you know is when he I come to him with a game idea, he he always asks, "Well what's the story? What's the narrative conflict?" And so he has that similar type of viewpoint, so again, when I'm looking at a game that that, that when I'm designing a game it has a similar type of i guess focus to it. It has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end and there's a cast of characters and so it, it, war game design the storytelling i guess that that's that's how i approach it in battles you know that kind of operational or tactical level design level kind of has that all those aspects built in
1: i guess i mean once th- you have quite a few solitaire games uh, well, um, yeah, well just two just but two. they
2: all play well solitaire
1: okay so what goes into uh when you're doing a game design especially of you know, i look uh, at St. George's Valor, and you have, uh, let's see, the Solitaire one, you have...
2: Uh, that, uh, Reign of Metals. Reign of Metals, mm-hmm.
1: right, that we just mentioned. which I think it's a great idea for a game. I might end up buying that one because uh, I need to play more Solitaire games because I don't have any friends. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> what goes into just to make a game uh, at, at the desktop publishing level where you really have this almost complete freedom to do whatever battle you want, whatever structure you want, whatever system you want, Um, From your level and your perspective, what goes into deciding, okay, this is going to be the scale, this is going to be the number of players, this is going to be the mechanic? Uh, Because when you have that much freedom, sometimes that can be overwhelming, and this is why you have so many designers do the same mechanic over and over again. So just change the setting up, or they might change the deck, or they might change a few things, where your games do run quite a bit of a range.
2: Well, thank you. Um, well, a lot of it comes from reading, and what strikes my personal interest. But as I said, uh, I started doing these things uh, when I was a teaching, as a teacher. And and some, a lot of the games have been driven by my students, what they're interested in. Um, uh, for example, that game, Day of Infamy, the Pearl Harbor game. Um, that's a. Uh, it started off as a solitaire game, but it kind of morphed into a two-player game because of the, the play the the playtesting with the students. And I created the game um, primarily um, because for I w- when I was at White- Youngstown State University full-time, I was involved with the English Festival. And uh, in 2001, that was, of course, the, the 40th anniversary of, of Pearl Harbor. And a lot of the, uh, a number of sto- books that were in the reading list that year had to deal with um, World War II and, and specifically um, Pearl Harbor and the, the war in the Pacific. And the kids were reading uh, those. And so I was asked to do a presentation on Pearl Harbor and what caused it, what led up to it, and what came out of it. And for the students who were co- attending the English Festival, so I, I had this game that had. Started working on with my back when I taught eighth grade, and I got it out of the files, finished it up, and gave it away to the kids all the people, all the kids who attended the sessions. And uh, so, I wanted something that was quick to learn, easy to play, and um, uh, use that card. You know, driven mechanism, so it'd be easy for kids to access and and also get their interest, you know, pique their interest maybe in in the event as well as the game. So in 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 many ways, you I have my students to credit as to what these games are all about because it was their interest that drove it.
1: I want I mean, I, I I used to teach as well. I taught history uh, in high school, and it was actually it's not easy. To no, get, it's not to <laughs> get games first. It passed on the the, the the curriculum committee is one thing. Especially in this day and age where it's all about, you know, testing, testing, testing and standards. So actually designing a game and bringing it in and play testing it on students. And you might, that might take a whole week uh, to actually go through it and understand it. Or at least three or four class days. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. Right. Um, So I just want to take a bit of a sidebar. How did you make that work?
2: Well, I, I... I, I would play some simple games like Jeopardy. I'd right. you know, Have of a course. Jeopardy review yeah. game that would get them interested, you know, involved in the concept that oh, Mr. Roarbaugh plays games. You know, at least for that. Um, I always taught uh, American history, and one of the units we did was the Cold War, and I had a, I designed a classroom simulation game on the Cold War, which you can, by the way, you can download for free from the Academic Gaming Reviews uh, website, and the kids had a ball with that. Playing that, and we would take three days to play it: one day to teach them how to play the game, the second day to actually play it, and then a third day to debrief or go over it. And um, and I guess that was done before the era of standards, but standards-based education, but. Even still, I mean, you, I can still cite the standards in the in the lesson plan for that game. Okay. So you can still do it today. And I still have teachers who email me once in a while and say they downloaded the game, and they, they played it, and they liked it, and their kids liked it. Um, but so that, after a while, it, you know, I got the rep that Mr. Rohrbaugh was the the game guy. And then after school, we would play games. Um, we would, you know, on other topics and and it it wasn't just it didn't have to be my games, my war games it could be anybody's games, and it didn't have to be war games either it could be chess, it could be you know scrabble, it could be whatever anybody wanted to play and so you know for about two hours after school every day you know whether you know as much as we could, you know we had a bunch of kids playing games in my classroom, and um we did that for ten years
0: so how about is, is that where you got your play testing as well?
2: Uh, a fair amount of it for done for for the you know the alpha testing yeah yeah now when when I do it now I mean when games come up we, they they go for you know second or third rounds of play testing uh, it's it takes about four to five maybe six years depending on the, the how the complexity of mm-hmm. the game and how much is involved in it for before it's it, I send it off to Bruce really or, six or years else. oh yeah yeah
0: how long has City of of Confusion been uh, in development.
2: City of Confusion. I see that game. I think I first started working on back in 1991. Well, you
0: have you have another. You have another. Is is that related to a Bloody Business? Because that's uh uh, didn't. Oh, that was yeah. That was first brought out
2: as as in firefight games as Bloody Business. Mm
0: -hmm. And and is it is it is it. It's is is this a later development of that game?
2: Yeah, what we did uh, when Bloody Business when he gave it to to Perry to do, um, it was called. It, Perry came up with the title for Bloody Business. I'm terrible at coming up with titles. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm horrible at it. Ninety ninety percent of the titles that you see on the on the covers are somebody else came up with them. Um, but uh, I forget what the title was. I have to go back. I have to dig through the files to see what it origin was. But then Perry called it Bloody Business. And it was published, Firefight Games. And, I, I, you know, it maybe sold a couple dozen copies. I I don't... Terry Perry could tell you more. But, I mean, we didn't make any money, really, Mm -hmm. on on the Firefight Games. Uh, But it got a really good review in Paper Wars. Okay. And... um, but, you know, like any game, it has a I mean, you, know, you could have somebody go over... You you have 100 people look over a game, and your skull going to have things that get passed. Right. Passed, done. You know, it's just, they're complex beasts. And, and, in fact, the more people you get involved, the more chances something's not going to get... One of them isn't going to... One, one thing that they didn't... They want done didn't isn't going to get... It's going to get lost in the noise. Mm-hmm. And no matter what. So uh, it's just, a you know, uh, the nature of the beast. But uh, I... I have since then, when I founded high, when I started High Flying Geist Games, that my deci- I've decided that all my games set in the world in the Vietnam era will have some sort of reference to a Rolling Stones song. Okay. And um, so it's uh, Nils was uh, caught on to that pretty quick, but that's that's uh, that's where that uh, title came from. And um, so if you could, you know, that that could be a nice little trivia question if some people could, you know, want to. Go look for the Rolling Stones song where the, where the title came from. Next one will be Crossfire Hurricane for the Battle of Long Tan. That's coming out next
0: month. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Now. But uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me another thing. So, I look at the games that you have, and you know, I click on them, and and often they'll say, you know, an introductory level war game, a low complexity, mm-hmm. you know, war game. Um, right. There, you have some games that are a little more complex, but for, for the most part, I think you keep your system simple. Is that something that is that comes from being a desktop publisher, or is that something that is just your design philosophy, or how does that work into this whole picture?
2: Now, that's me. I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. I, I, maybe it's because I'm, again, I've been working so long with students mm-hmm. and, and trying to get and, – and the other thing, I'm trying to get new people into the, into the hobby or in looking at these uh, games um, – whether they're young or just young at heart, okay. Um, but that's uh, I, I. I don't. This is t- for me. It's been it's it's been a a way of portraying history that's given me a lot of joy and satisfaction uh, over the years, and and I would like to extend that to others as much as possible. Um, I, I you know I could still you know think you know over my you know my life how people would say computers are going to kill games, and it's not been that at all. Right. Uh, we're in another golden age of of publication. And I think a lot of that is, 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 is driven also by desktop publishing, people you know, getting new topics and new designers and new, new artists and, as well as new people into this hobby we all love. And so keeping it simple is, is, is in, in looking at different ways of portraying designing a game is, is, is a way for me to try to get more people into it. You know, somebody may not like, like, Arena of Missiles, but they may like Cape Matapan. Or, you know, somebody may not like, you know, Day of Infamy, but they really like, you know, uh, City of Confusion or Operation Codish or something like that.
0: Yeah. So, it, are you thinking that you would ever design a more complex sort of, you know, hardcore game? Are the are the uh, professional games that you have just better components, or are they also more complex?
2: I, I think they're just better components. Um, the You know, the complexity level... Of well, I mean test of metal that 's the blood and series steel series games okay that's uh, um, so the same thing as the is the uh, cursed game yeah exactly it's the same exact system, tweaked of course, with you know a few different rules or a few modifications for the rules for for um you know that that uh, time and that, that that those particular battles but it's, it's still essentially the same system if you know the blood and steel games, you can dive right into the test of metal games um bloody hell game that's a uh, that's a different system but it's not very much more complex than than um really the ones in testamental Um I, I just don't I don't know, I, I don't think I'd be doing a, a very complex game, something on the lines of um oh you know like Ben Hall I, I like Ben Hall's musket and pike system. I have all of them. I enjoy them. Um or um labyrinth um and, and i have i've got to help out with um dave doctors you know i developed dave doctors um, uh triumph of chaos um but to me as a designer i just i i, I can I'll, i i enjoy them i play them and or even in triumph of chaos got to help develop them but it's just not my cup of tea uh, i i like simpler designs
0: and i guess it's easier with uh, simpler designs to uh, you have shorter rule books and yes, uh, i guess yes. that kind of keeps the cost down as well
2: true yeah you know. but you know when i design a game i'm not really looking at the costs i mean if it, it takes me where it takes me okay but um, uh, well your
0: games i mean you have you have a, r- a range of games there they start uh, at 5.95 for your mini games like your day of infamy yep. is 5.95 and then they range up to uh, you know like 2495 for your uh, six days of war which is the arab-israeli war 67 um, right. and then I guess your um, your uh, professional games so but everything goes from from you know 595 and there's you know you have an 1195 price point so you know everything is pretty much you know 20 bucks or or around there uh, until yeah. you get to the professional editions and those are 45 dollars so that's they're, they're priced like a standard uh yeah, standard
2: yeah. professional game but I, I i again uh those professional games i, I mean i can test a metal, you're getting three games in that one bloody hell you're getting two games which you can also you play separately but you can also link them together so you almost got like three games in that one too so i'm again even on those i'm trying to keep the price down um if i've had problems given my price of getting some wholesalers interested in them because most people most of them want you know 50 60 discounts
0: i see i don't have that kind of
2: markup right <laughs> you know i mean i'm making you know i may have like a 23 percent markup on the professional series games mm-hmm. on the other on the on the other games those markups right you know i may make you know and i i pay my graphic artists you know Piecework. I mean, right. they're, uh, they're not permanent employees, but right. you know, basically, Bruce gets a buck for each mini game, um, uh, two bucks for most of the other games. Any game that's like eighteen dollars or more, he gets three bucks. Okay. I may make a dollar more than he does. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> they, or, or they, you know, those guys do, and, and I don't make any money on the cards at all. Tim gets a dollar uh, for each of the card single deck card sets. He gets three dollars for the City of Confusion card sets, but I don't make a penny on those um they're just you know promotions for me right and, well and there's uh, so the
0: card sets let me just explain to the listeners so card sets city of confusion uh is a game that costs 20.95 you can pay a few bucks more i think it's four dollars more for the uh, mounted counters uh and then uh the game is actually playable that way i mean but you you need a uh, a deck of cards
2: yeah, two decks of cards. Two, yeah, yeah, two decks of, of cards. that's yeah, true. Yeah.
0: And then uh, and and dice, um, which are not included. But the uh, the the deck of cards or the two decks of cards um, can be replaced by something that Paul can provide as a very nicely produced uh, set of uh, City of Confusion um, cards that are specific to the to the game. The way that the, the game works is that you um, you reveal cards for activation and the whether the, the suit and the number and everything and the color all have something to do with... Uh, it's actually a great system because you just actually never know who's going to be activating what. <laughs> it's one of these, you know, uh, uh, oh, look what just happened and then have to deal with it. So it's kind of like a managing chaos type of game system. But um, yeah, Thank you.
2: I, I always thought that, you know, the, the card system approach is a great way of imparting the chaos of battle but without a whole lot of rules,
0: right? You just have to. You sort of you're you're dealt with a here. Here's the next thing that happens. Okay, what can I do with this? Like, okay, I can I can I have an airstrike. Um, what can I do with an airstrike? Because I have it now. I'm not going to have it necessarily. You know, next turn I'm going to have it now, and. Um, what? How can I best use? Uh, I think, and I, I've noticed that some players really don't like, especially computer gamers. I think really don't like that kind of uh, <laughs> uncertainty. They really want, you know, they yeah, want no. to set up all their attacks and make everything, no. you know, just so and have their plan and then hit the button and then then you know other player plays. And this is not like that at all. This is a case no. where you definitely, you know, play the hand you're dealt and you best. You know,
2: literally yeah exactly
0: right <laughs> literally of it. but yeah. um but for twelve dollars uh you um you can get the um, playing cards that uh and then once again they're not i mean they're not a full they're not an actual you're not going to get a, a, a set of you know playing cards like you would get at the store um, they're they're uh, thinner but uh, they're still nicely done you cut them yourself and uh, just like the the counters, you cut yourself. You need an exacto knife, but uh, but that's that's kind of the the level of of a component that you that you get out of the game. And I think the game. I mean, I've only had a chance to play it once, but it, it, it plays really well. And I'm I'm thank uh, you. I'm very. Uh, it makes me interested in in playing some of the other uh, the other games that you have. Um, I, the people that that uh, I can occasionally round up to play don't tend to like really small games because they see them as. As sort of uh, arithmetic puzzles, so mm. uh, so I'm I'm looking at some different uh, different. That's you know, the... I hope
2: they understand. There's a lot more than that yeah. packed into these I, games.
0: I, I I haven't I I can't vouch for that because I haven't played any of them. But that's the that and not yeah. just your games. Any any game uh, people that I've played with sort of feel that um, if you get a game that's too small, there's got to be a solution to it. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, and that, and that that's uh that's you know kind of th- something that any desktop publisher has to contend with because there is a significant number of people out there who think well if it was a good enough game a publisher would take it i see and that's not the case i mean let's just again look at the topics in my catalog right there's i don't think anybody would do a game on raid of
0: missiles Sure, yeah. Or, or Bitter Heights or you know, the, the Till Darkness Goes. Are you know, okay, Marines in, in Vietnam. I mean, that's not, yeah. you know, Trap and Dong. Nobody's ever even heard of that battle. So okay. uh, it just doesn't... It, 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 yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think it's kind of short-sighted to think that, you know, well, if this game were any good, somebody would actually have made a you know, a professional game right. out of it. That, that's but there are people, a, a lot of works. people
2: who feel that way and have posted it as such on Consum World. And so you have to overcome... That prejudice, and I think, and, and and I think for some of us, um, you know, the early days of desktop publishing, you know, they were they things were crude, and there were things that were rushed, and not me, but I mean, there, there were people who were in desktop publishing who just threw something out there quickly, and people got burned on it, and it's left a nasty taste in their mouth, and um, I I. I you know, people when they buy my games are are, are realizing no, these are you know indeed um, they look good, but they also play good because they've been literally taken years to develop. They've had two, three, four rounds of play testing, and um, you know it's and, and and there's no ego involved on this end either. I mean, if something is if it's something it comes up in play testing, I'll we'll will we'll work on it until it's fixed. And if it isn't fixed, it goes back in the file drawer and let the subconscious chew on it for another couple of years. And um, because you know I'm not going to put something out there with my name on it or anybody else's name on it that it, it doesn't doesn't work and, and is doesn't pass muster. Is um, it? It's a it's, it's their team efforts. There's all those people listed in the credits you know they they put a lot of time and effort into these things and you know their names are there too and you know I want them to 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 uh, you know I want it to reflect well for them too
0: well i mean it's very it just it's just sort of uh, uh interesting to me that uh that you can have a a viable sort of business just releasing things on um on topics that you're interested in and there must be enough people out there that Also have some, or or see that may not know that they're interested in that topic, but. I mean, I, I had no idea I was interested in, in the, uh, you know, Battle of Anlock. I had zero idea. That I really <laughs> even cared about that battle. But I, I, yeah, but, you know, for six bucks, you six can get bucks, it. Six bucks? You know. I mean, as soon as we hang up, I'm probably going to click this button and just order this game. So, I mean, it just—and it's and and, uh, and and that probably, you know, that may end up leading me to uh, actually, you know, go and read a little bit and find, you know, if I have anything on my shelf. I know I don't think anything about the battle, but I certainly have some Easter offensive stuff that— uh, uh, I could pull down and 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 refresh my memory and uh, and see where this all fit in. So I mean, that's that's uh, well, I, if I just, that's
2: the case, why well, I was succeeded splendidly. Yeah, no, exactly. That, I mean, that's that, that's that's what I really like. As about a teacher, the I couldn't yeah. you you couldn't be saying uh, anything better. Yeah, <laughs> That couldn't be any higher praise. Right. Because I mean that—that's yeah, why I'm doing these things. Yeah. Is to get people interested
0: in the history. That's great. Well, that's how that's the that's the kind of people that I think play these games in the first place is the people that are likely to see something about something that they haven't encountered before, and then that's historical, and then immediately become interested in it uh, yeah. through the, yeah. the vehicle of a of a game.
2: And sometimes you sometimes you hit you know sometimes you you get a topic and you know, and you know they go I can't get them out the door fast enough, and other days you know there there's other topics where you know, huh <laughs> what was I thinking or whatever, but you know it it's you have that freedom to experiment when you're in desktop publishing.
0: What are your most popular this is a question I always want to know is, is do publishers publish games about the Battle of the Bulge and France and Normandy because? Those are popular, or because they think they're popular. Does do, do, does your experience yeah. uh, point which one does that point to?
2: Well, I mean, it's. Yeah, because I have my own bulge game out there. I mean, but I even then I took I do it, did it differently with that. You know, my pocket battle. I don't know if you're familiar with my postcards. Yeah, games. I've
0: gotten so uh, tell 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 our listeners a little about the postcards. I I think I have yeah. several of your pocket battles that I've gotten. Uh, I don't know how I acquired them. They just kind of showed up in boxes of things that yeah, I've, I've yeah. bought. Um, well, we were. I bought EC uh, C'est La France uh, from uh, Legion War Games, and there was a there was a, a little card in there with a game on it. Yeah. I was like, what? Um, but yeah. yeah tell
2: tell so tell our readers about that. Well um we were years ago, I think it was probably about two thousand three or two thousand four, Origins. Um I you know, again I'm working I was at the time working full time you know, not full time, but you know, working as a regular developer for Against the Odds. And they one of the hurricanes had just gone through Philadelphia and had taken out basically the the warehouse where um games and things of that sort had been stored uh, for Against the Odds and Clash of Arms. And one of the things that got destroyed was all their promotional postcards that they would put in, you know, different publishers' games as advertisements. And uh, we were sitting around talking about this, and somebody had just come out with a small little postcard game that you could download online. And uh, Ed Wimble had uh, just made and said I bet Rohrbach could, couldn't get a game on a postcard. <laughs> I thought about it and I, said, I bet I could. <laughs> and uh, so that that was the birth of Stand Up Mortain, the first postcard game. And I really enjoyed that that format and intellectual challenge of trying to get a game on a postcard and and capturing the history the and, and getting a a a, a, a good a, a, a qualitative enough decision tree for the player that it models the history and presents them with the same dilemmas and, and tough decisions that have to be made as you would in a full-size game. And so I, I, there's quite a bit of them out now. I've, I, th- I think there's like 11 of them now, and I've got another eight or nine of them in um, for publication down the road. Um, and the newest one is the um, is uh, the Union Forever. I got the whole Civil War on a postcard. And um
0: the whole yeah. Civil War on a postcard.
2: Yeah, the entire Civil War on a How postcard. How
0: does
2: that work? Oh, it, 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 you use the cards, uh, deck of cards. A lot of them use a standard deck of cards, and although the the, the one on the Channel Dash, Operation Cerberus, that doesn't. That works more like a conventional game. But uh, it's it, I've got all the the Anaconda Plan is in there. The leaders are in there. Um, armies and and raids and you know the militias and the whole bits in there and you got uh, the 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 union has to try to subdue uh the 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 states in rebellion and and uh but the house south just has to not lose and and try to hold out and it, it but it's all in there in a state you know postcard and uh so i i that those those uh, well anyway it, that's how we got started doing those things and as advertisements to replace the the postcards that the standard just little ad uh, ads that were in there and they've since kind of caught on.
0: Well, some of them uh, are actually uh, advertisements but, uh, for larger back. Oh, games, I'm right? sorry. What's that? Some of them are, are, are advertisements for larger games, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. They're 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 they're, they're bottom line. They're advertisements for against the odds and turning point series games, um, and um, and go back to the Battle of the Bulge thing. You know, I I did four postcards on set in the Battle of the Bulge, the Americans fight against Constant Group of Piper, and you can play each of those four games stand-alone, or you can link them together to play this big, grand campaign, you know, using that loosely, um, that phrase. But uh, So I've got a Battle of the Bulge game my own, but I think Battle of the Bulge games, I think the Cell, number one, it's an interesting event from, from our perspective, particularly here in the United States, uh, but I think there are also significant Number of gamers out there who will buy any Battle of the Bulge game just because that's what they collect now. Really, there's enough of them just to have that cl- kind of a collection, and and interesting, you know, to see how okay this is how this designer portrays it, this is how this designer did it, and this is how this designer did it, and you know, it, it there's enough you can have just a sub genre of of the hobby that you know could support you know
0: 500 copies of any Battle of the Bulge game you want. Hmm. Just just, just based on people doing sort of complet on their Battle of the Bulge game.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a that there is there is that aspect, or and there's some like Death or Gettysburg, or, or uh, you know, you name big battles that you know, a lot of the traditional Avalon Hill games were done on these, and and uh, got our whole hobby started with them. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Well, I guess then there's not going to be any um, any end to the. Uh, battle of the bulge and dd games in sight uh, <laughs> probably not
1: <laughs> so have there been any scenarios any battles you've tried to model or any conflicts you've tried to model through your systems and through your games that have just defied your efforts because you have quite a range here um but is there anything that just could not get through play testing this cannot be done or this is not interesting
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry to say well, it's interesting you brought that up. But no, so far everything I've tried I mean but you know grant sometimes things go right out of the bat right out of the gate and they work real well. Um but others say you know, they they go back in the file drawer and let the subconscious chew on it for a couple more years or whatever, but I haven't had any duds yet. That's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, I haven't had any topics that we've started off, but again again I'm when I start a game, I'm usually my, I've got it already. I've been thinking about it, thinking about it, reading about it. And I, by the time I start designing it, I've pretty well thought it out in my head how this is going to work.
0: What's your most popular, I don't know, game or topic that you can recall designing?
2: Oh, well, the high-flying dice games, the, those French blitzkrieg games, those are, those are all... Uh, one person buys them and they come back invariably you know, a month later buy all of them. Really? Um, those are very them. popular yeah i wonder um, if they can
0: play them or collect them that's that's my that's my big
2: yeah I, you yeah, i wonder um but uh, they they connect on some level um now my um with against the odds my valley de la More, the the m b n foo game that did that's done very well uh-huh and I'm that, very proud that's of that. It's sold one. out actually i tried to buy
0: it but yeah, it's, it's, it's sold, sold out.
2: out unfortunately they won't be able to reprint it why is that uh well, the graphic artist won't release permission
0: oh really uh
2: yeah and, uh, so for any of those reason? that he, he just doesn't want to do it because he won't,
0: he won't thinks he's he going to sell it to uh paramount or something. I don't know,
2: but uh, uh, it would be a good moneymaker, but he doesn't want to do it. Um, wow. he's not going to release permission for any of those games that he did.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, the, the uh, price of that just doubled on, the uh, probably on board game yeah. game there.
2: Yeah. And if you've got the expansion game, the, um, the, um, uh, the that goes with it on operas- operations flights of fancy mm-hmm. the operations albatross and condor, mm-hmm. uh, yeah you've you've got some you've got a real collector's item there and you know it's the only game on DMBN Food that General Jap has himself has personally endorsed and likes. What do th- <laughs> What? Yeah, um, when the game was published, first published back in two thousand and one by Microgame Design Group. Mm-hmm. Um, in January of 2002, I got this real interesting email um, from a lady, from an, a woman called, La- her name is Lady Borden, uh, she was the official English language translator for General Vo Nguyen Jap okay. in Vietnam, okay. and she, for Tet, was looking to buy something for him as a gift, and she just Googled Dien Bien Phu and came across my game. Uh-huh. That had been published by Microgame Design Group. So she bought him a copy. Okay. He absolutely loved the game. Oh my god! Um, he he bought copies f- for all of the surviving generals. Wait, what? Of the battle. Uh, yep. Uh, he, General he Jap.
0: Co- j- so General Võ
2: Nguyên Giáp yep. of
0: the of um, North Vietnam wrote
2: of who Vietnam, won that battle. Won that battle. Bought um, your he, game it, she, for all yeah, of his surviving I, generals. Yep, he wanted to, he bu- he put copies of the game in the divisional archives, and the museum, at on at Dien Bien Phu, and he I wrote he asked to ask he wrote uh, had Lady Borden ask me to write a, a a letter explaining how I got involved you know interest in the battle and. Why I designed the game and I sent it off, courtesy of the embassy here in the United States, and he sent me back a very nice autographed copy of the rules and with the thank you note. <laughs> and um, uh, so it, it, it that that's needless to say in the family archives here. <laughs> that's one but of yeah, the best
0: he, war game stories I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, it made the newspaper. It made the uh, in fact it made the newspaper here. It made the uh, New York Times, and it made, it was in, published in the Chronicle of Higher Education
0: that's freaking fantastic.
2: I mean that that was yeah so I mean that's and that's one of the reasons why they decided to publish it in, in against the odds because of, of that and uh and now that is one of the more more complex games and and usually the ones that are in against the odds are are that next level because they again I can I'm appealing to a more grognard veteran audience not I'm not just appealing to to newbies. and so I can do a little bit more with those games creatively in 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 terms of design challenges than i would just desktop published huh. uh, yeah but that that's one of my that's one i'm most proud of' them, you know and then uh i'm 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 proud of all of them but yeah. I, you know that 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 one is yeah it has a unique story
0: to it Well, I think that since that is just about – that's perfect. Uh, We have our hour is up, and that is about the best possible way that I think we could have ended this broadcast.
1: We'll have links to to Paul's store uh, at the bottom of the podcast under the description on the idle thumbs forum. I'm probably going to be checking out some of these when I go through my gaming budget. So many things I have to buy this month, (laughs) Uh, but there's certainly some neat stuff here. Um, And we will also uh, link to some of the games on BoardGameGeek so you can follow some of the threads there as
0: well.
2: Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure talking with both of you. All right. Well, and, thank uh, you. You've, it's hope
0: been, you've told us great stories, and we had uh, learned a lot about uh, this aspect of the hobby. I'm, I'm just fascinated by uh, that <laughs> well, last story.
2: Any time, gentlemen. Any time.
1: Well, Hopefully, right. we can have you back sometime if we did dig into some of these conflicts yeah. uh, and how they've been uh, addressed. Cool.
2: Okay. And, yeah, it, it'd be, be
0: my pleasure. Perfect. All right. Well. Paul, thank you very much, and uh, Troy, thank you very much, and me, thank me very much, and uh, <laughs> everybody, we will uh, see you in a week. Good night, everybody. Bye, all Bye-bye.